0: This morning we're going to consider salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 through to 8. In fact, we'll have a look at those verses now. Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 through to 8. Then the Lord said unto Moses, now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his, hand, uh, his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah, was I not known to them? And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob and I will give you it for an heritage. I am the Lord. I do love that passage of scriptures; Probably one of my many favourites. The servant of the Lord, Moses, had gone with his brother Aaron who was to be the high priest of Israel, the first high priest. They had gone to Pharaoh and they said to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Far from complying with the divine command to release the Israelites, Pharaoh defiantly said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Furthermore, Pharaoh gave instructions to withhold from the Israelites straw. They needed that straw for bricks in order to do their work, their slave labor. From now on, they had to go and look around and find stubble, find anything because the straw wasn't being given to them anymore. They had to go out and find their own. That would have been very time consuming. Even so, Even so, Pharaoh would not allow any diminishment or decrease in the workload. Consequently, the Israelites vented their anger and frustration on Moses, whereupon Moses asked the Lord why he had brought evil on the people, as can be seen in Exodus chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Look at those verses again, verses 22 and 23. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Moses really didn't understand what was going on there. It, perhaps it had been better if he'd not gone to Pharaoh in the first place. We shall spend our time considering the Lord's reply to Moses. It is a reply that contains details of how God would deliver his ancient people, the Israelites, who were largely unregenerate. I want to make that very clear from the beginning. They were God's ancient people. By and large, they were unregenerate. They were a rebellious people. They were not born again, by and large. Although there was a believing remnant amongst them and we're going to see how the Lord would save them, save the Israelites from their bondage to Pharaoh. Consequently lessons will be learnt concerning God's deliverance through the redemptive work of his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, of all born again Christians from their bondage to sin. Pharaoh was opposed to the God of Israel and without compassion towards the children of Israel. Even so, God would very soon overrule and Pharaoh would be instrumental in God's deliverance of his ancient people. And that would result in the name of the Lord being proclaimed throughout the earth and his power being seen by all. This is despite Pharaoh's... um, rebellion against God saying who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go even so God would be glorified through that wicked man Pharaoh king of Egypt consequently if you look ahead to chapter 9 and verse 16 in Exodus you'll see that the Lord instructed Moses to say the following to Pharaoh and in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. With that in mind understand very clearly that where we read in chapter 6 and verse 1 with a strong hand shall he let them go and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land that strong hand is the hand of Almighty God don't imagine it's the hand of Pharaoh it's the hand of God and we see the power of God and his name will be declared throughout the earth um, because he raised up Pharaoh um, for that purpose that wicked man, Pharaoh. All through history, God has overruled the wicked schemes of sinful men and his will has very decisively been accomplished. The greatest example of that must surely be when the incarnate Son of God was nailed to a wooden cross and lifted up to die, without in any way excusing the wickedness of those who were involved. Acts chapter 2 verse 23 tells us that Jesus was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. What that means is that when wicked hands crucified and slew the Lord Jesus Christ, God's eternal decree was carried out and the good, and, and the good news for all the elect of God, all repentant sinners who have trusted in, in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, and for everlasting life is that Jesus who was crucified and put to death by wicked men he was wounded dear Christian for your transgressions he was bruised for your iniquities and with his stripes you are healed and thank God for that Be in no doubt whatsoever that God is sovereign over the affairs of all men, even the most wicked of them, and his plans will not be thwarted by his rebellious creatures. As it is written in Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. We see that with Pharaoh, we see that at the cross, and this is how it is. God's will shall be done. His eternal purposes, His eternal decrees. Well have a look at chapter 6 verses 2 through to 5 again. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord God and I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. In verse 2, God declared himself to Moses to be the Lord and in verse 3 he said and I appeared unto Abraham unto Isaac unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty but by my name Jehovah was I not known. Lord with capital letters as we see it there in verse 2 and Jehovah, in verse 3, are precisely the same in meaning and they speak of the self-existence of God, his eternality and his immutability or his unchangingness, the God who does not change. Lord and Jehovah can be used interchangeably. The thing is that Jehovah and Lord are names that God was rightly known as by his old covenant people, the Jews. And now Jehovah and Lord, capital letters Lord, are names that God is rightly known as by his new covenant people, born again Christians, whether they be Jews or Gentiles. As such, when I hear someone who, as far as I can see, shows no interest in Jesus, that makes no claim to be a Christian or anything and that person refers to God as Lord or Jehovah. I don't leave it at that. I start inquiring. I might ask, it's interesting that you call God Lord. What do you actually mean by that? Are you saying that God is your Lord? And of course, it's, um, it, it's an opportunity for witness. Because for me... It doesn't sound right that someone who has no interest in Jesus would refer to God as Lord. They might do that for my benefit but it doesn't sit right with me and nor should it because Lord is the covenant name that he is known by to his people, to Christians in other words, people who are trusting in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you can understand that as well as Jehovah and Lord being names that speak of the glorious attributes of God, they also speak of the very special relationship that God has with, them, with those whom he has delivered from bondage, then it will help you to understand why in verse 3 God says that he was not known by his name Jehovah or Lord, by the patriarchs Abraham Abraham's son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob even though it can be seen very easily very clearly in the first book of the Bible in Genesis that all three of those men did actually call on the name of the Lord and yet we're being told here that they were not that God was not made known to them by that name so what is going on there? God would soon be known by his name Lord to the Israelites in a very special way such as was not known before he would be known by his name Lord to the Israelites whom he would deliver from captivity to Pharaoh in Egypt and he would lead them to Canaan a land flowing with milk and honey as for now three and a half thousand years later God is known by his name Lord by all who have been delivered from captivity to sin, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, people who have been delivered from captivity, from bondage, by God. They know him as Lord, or Jehovah God. I'm now going to read verses 6 through to 8, and as you read along with me, you might like to count on your fingers the number of times the Lord says, I will. I'll read verses 6 through to 8. Start counting as you read along with me. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for an heritage. I am the Lord. How many fingers did you get there? Seven Seven fingers, yeah, and me. I was counting behind my pulpit here. I knew the answer anyway, but I thought, I hope I've got this right. If I'm going to be in trouble if I count something else now. Seven fingers. Seven I wills of Jehovah, or the Lord. First of all, the Lord said, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. For years, the Israelites had suffered under the heavy load of slave labor in Egypt. You've already heard about Pharaoh making them gather their own stubbled straw to produce bricks for work that they were required to do. But another example of the cruelty of Pharaoh and the cruelty of the Egyptians that was inflicted upon the Israelites, the Hebrews, was that Pharaoh gave an order for all the newborn males, Hebrew males, to be destroyed. Consequently, as a baby, Moses was hidden by his mother as a newborn baby. He was hidden by her for three months, and in the overruling providence of God, Moses was then placed by the bank of the river in an ark made of bulrushes and subsequently he was found and adopted by none other than who? Than Pharaoh's daughter, the princess of Egypt. Isn't that ironic that Pharaoh who'd, who'd ordered that all the Hebrew males be put to death at birth? Little did he know that he would end up being the adoptive granddaddy of one of those Hebrew males. After 400 years of the Israelites being in Egypt, the Lord was about to bring them out from under the burdens of Pharaoh. And I trust you can see that it is all of the Lord. Again, we counted seven I wills there. That should tell you something as the title of my sermon says salvation is of the Lord. The burden spoken of in verse 6 referred to false labour but there is another kind of burden it is one that can weigh heavily upon people and it is what? It is the burden of sin. The psalmist David knew something about that burden for example in Psalm 38 verses 3 and 4 he said there is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin for mine iniquities have gone over mine head as an heavy burden they are too heavy for me. This is the psalmist David a man of God a man after God's own heart saying as for as an heavy burden, they, that is his sins, are too heavy for me. When people first show repentance towards God and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, that heavy burden is lifted from them. If you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. I, it's uh, quite a few years ago now for me, but I can still remember when I felt liberated from that heavy burden for the first time, how wonderful that was. In fact it is written in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6 that Jehovah has laid on his son the iniquity of us all, that is all who trust in Jesus. He has laid that burden of sin upon his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are not a Christian, but you are burdened by your sin, that is not a bad thing at all. You can be very thankful to God if that is how you are at the moment, burdened by your sin. What you now need to do is repent and believe in Jesus and the Lord will bring you out from under that burden of your sin and for the first time in your life, you will have peace with God. A peace that passes all understanding when you first trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour. Jesus who has made peace by the blood of his cross. Maybe you're already a Christian but even so you're dragging your heels under the heavy and intolerable weight or burden of your sin like the psalmist and consequently your communion with the God of your salvation seems to have all but evaporated. I've been there. I know what it is to pray empty prayers. How do you pray to God when there's that barrier where you've Stumbled into some besetting sin, for example. Not for the first time. Not for the second time. You've done it again. Why? But these things happen. But blessed are you if what you do is turn to your heavenly Father in prayer, seeking forgiveness. And God, Jehovah, your Lord, is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Secondly, the Lord says, I will rid you out of their bondage. That speaks of the Israelites parting company with their false labour altogether. When it comes to Christians, not only are they people whose guilt has been lifted and borne by the Lord Jesus Christ, but also there is an ongoing and progressive work of destroying the power of sin in them and conforming them to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the work of God, the Holy Spirit. And when finally Christians die and they go to be with Jesus, they part company with that sin altogether. Thirdly, in verse 6, the Lord says, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. That is the first time the word redeem appears in the Bible and it speaks of vengeance and deliverance. Very soon Jehovah, the God of the Hebrews, would deliver them from their oppression and he would do so with a stretched out arm and with judgments. That is, with great power as seen with the separating of the Red Sea in order to provide an escape route for the Israelites and then closing the sea up on Pharaoh and his army. Also there were the ten plagues that preceded the deliverance, all of which clearly displayed the power and the judgment of Almighty God. Often redemption comes at a price and a ransom is paid. For example, if you were to go into a slave market and purchase a slave and then set that slave free, whatever you paid for that slave would be the ransom price and you will have redeemed him. When it, rather, in the Bible, the ransom that is paid is blood. Blood. When the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life to redeem sinners the ransom price that he paid was his own precious blood. As it is written in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 through to 20 For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. Dear Christian, that's telling us that the Lord Jesus Christ he was chosen by his father to be the sacrificial lamb And in the fullness of time, Jesus, in accordance, in fulfilment of that eternal decree, came into the world, we can read about it in the Old Testament. And what did um, John the Baptist say when he heralded the coming of Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And upon that cross, Jesus, the Lamb of God, laid down his own life when he shed his own precious blood in order to redeem you and to set you free, to set captives free, all who trust in him for forgiveness from their sins. And also there's Matthew chapter 20 verse 28 where the Lord Jesus Christ said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life, a ransom for many. What those verses are telling us is that when the Son of God was crucified and he laid down his life as the sacrificial lamb of God, he shed his own precious blood. That was the ransom price, redeemed with his blood. And that was shed for all who repent and trust in him. People who can identify with the hymn writer who said, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child forever I am. Fourthly, the Lord says, I will take you to me for a people. Although the Hebrews had been nothing more than a nation of slaves in Egypt, they would become God's chosen people in a covenant relationship with him. In the old covenant relationship that God would soon have with the Hebrews, the Israelites, they would be his peculiar treasure, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, totally undeserving of such high honors and yet they were precious in his sight. The same high honors are given to the body of born-again believers under the terms of the new covenant of which the Lord Jesus Christ is mediator and he is the guarantee of everlasting peace with God for all who have been cleansed and redeemed with his precious blood. Fifthly, the God of Israel says, I will be to you a God. God was with the Israelites in a very special way. As well as parting the Red Sea for them to pass through and then closing it on their enemies, the Lord also led them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night during their wilderness wanderings. He gave them bread from heaven. He gave them water from a rock. He even gave them shoes that never wore out. God thought of everything. He was their God. He was with them during those 40 years of wanderings. How much more so is God, the God of those for whom he has sent his only begotten son to redeem with his own blood and in whose heart, in whose hearts, God the Holy Spirit applies the great gospel promises and assurances of sins forgiven and everlasting life. The Jews of old never had those promises, neither did their relationship with God extend to them, knowing and addressing God as Father. But now the Lord Jesus Christ gives to all who receive him as their Saviour and their Lord, the right and the tremendous privilege of knowing and addressing God, Jehovah God, as Father. That is a privilege, isn't it? Do you realise that every time you start a prayer, Father, or Father, which art in heaven, how privileged you are. You're privileged, dear Christian, to know God as Lord, your Lord, and you're very privileged to know him as your Father. sixthly the Lord says I will bring you in unto the land after 40 years of wilderness wanderings the Israelites took possession of the land that God had promised them for example in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 1 the Lord said that the Israelites would take possession of the land of promise and that he would cast out the Hittites the Girgashites The Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Seven nations greater greater and mightier than Israel. Amongst the largely unregenerate Israelites, as I've already said, there was a believing remnant who would have been looking beyond that promised land in Canaan and and they would have been looking above and beyond having an earthly home. They would have been looking to a heavenly country and even before Israel existed as a nation, Abraham, the father of all believing Jews and Gentiles, was looking heavenwards to a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Those of you who have been to funeral services may well have heard the following words, of the Lord Jesus Christ being proclaimed by the minister. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. A, a I wouldn't mind guessing that every one of you who who has been to funeral services has heard those words. In my father's house are many mansions, yeah? The Greek word translated mansions is more accurately translated abodes. Even so, the word mansions is most appropriate because mansions quite rightly speaks of places of permanence. Although those wonderful words of assurance of the Saviour about heavenly mansions do not apply to those who are not trusting in him, let yet all of you who are savingly united to Jesus, let you be assured that you most certainly do have a heavenly inheritance. When you die, you will most certainly enter into the presence of your Saviour, in heavenly glory. Last of all, the Lord says, I will give it to you for an heritage. About three and a half thousand years ago, the Lord gave the Israelites a land of their own in the Middle East, but as we have just considered, to the Christian, the Lord gives a better country, a heavenly one, And because Christians are children of God, they are heirs and joint heirs with the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Consequently, when Jesus shall come again in judgment, he will say to his redeemed, Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is something that the Israelites of old would never have heard. And when the judgment comes, that when that day comes, when Jesus comes again, it is only those who have trusted in him as their saviour from sin who will hear those words. Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Finally, in verse 8, God once again reassures the Israelites with those words, I am the Lord or I am Jehovah, reminding them of the covenantal relationship that He has with them. But it was a relationship in which they received earthly blessings for obedience and curses, the curses of God, for their disobedience. Suffice to say that the history of Jews is largely one of rebellion and forsaking God which was met with severe judgment by the Lord. How different it is for the children of God, people whose trust and acceptance before God is in his dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus took the curse of God upon himself when he was wounded for their transgressions at the cross. Having perfectly kept the law throughout his earthly sojourn and that perfect obedience is credited to the accounts of all born-again Christians, all who are trusting in Jesus. Two questions to finish. First of all, if you are a son or daughter of the living God, having shown repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, can you see what a tremendous spiritual what see what tremendous spiritual and everlasting blessings you have in Jesus far greater than anything than Israel of old ever had, even though they were greatly blessed by the Lord? You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus it doesn't get better than that, does it? And the second question, if Jesus is not your saviour from sin, can you see that you have nothing, nothing at all? No relationship with God and nothing but judgment and damnation to come. This is way too serious for you to ignore. Repent and believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.